watch the movie other people throw away. My name is Bri, and with me as always is Dorothy. Hello. And this is our last episode of 2020, Good Fucking Riddance. <laughs> and it's our winter double-length special. Yes, uh, Hanukkah will be over by the time this goes up, but there is still Kwanzaa, Yule, Christmas. I don't know when Festivus happens, but happy end-of-year celebratory festivals to one and all. As Dorothy mentioned, we are doing a double feature to close out the year. So we decided to pick the two distinctive films, Jack Frost and Jack Frost. One is a horror film about an undead snowman that rises to terrorize people in a small town in Colorado. The other one is exactly the same thing, but it has murders in it. And a rape scene. Yeah. Yeah. I do hope you will forgive us for indulging. I know that the Michael Keaton Jack Frost is sort of already a well-established punchline at this point. But you know what? It's such a well-established, memeified, hyper-real version of itself that it seemed worth doing to go back to the source. Especially when, you know, it pairs so well. It is very hard to find these movies when you're trying to watch a particular one is the thing. There have to have been some accidental trauma clicks. (laughs) I am certain. They came out one year apart. Jack Frost, the horror movie, came out in 1997, and Jack Frost, the Michael Keaton vehicle- The alleged family film. Is 1998. And, uh, well, they couldn't be more diametrically opposed in production. There's not a lot of background material on- The 97 Jack Frost, there is, thank you, archive.org, a preserved Fangoria article from 97 when the movie was coming out that is basically like, yeah, this movie was so micro-budget that it's basically the entirety of the joke around it getting made. The screenwriter was the director in this case, but not because of choice, allegedly because they couldn't afford a different director. So thank you, Michael Cooney, I suppose. They they took the fact that he wrote that script as evidence that he was competent at anything. They talked a lot about that camp. You know the Campbell's Soup commercial with the melting snowman? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I made a joke about that while we were watching these. Good news. So did they. <laughs> okay. Both in terms of point of reference and this had a budget three times what ours was. Okay. For the next uh, commercial horror movie spinoff, can I get the Folgers You're My Present Fund it. I demand it now. (laughs) Lifetime could do it. They're into that shit. It's true. They've got that flowers in the attic cred. (laughs) Those movies are something. You know what? Not something good, but something. No, but they are weirdly engrossing. And that's (laughs) frankly all I ask from Lifetime. (laughs) I don't ask them to be tasteful ever. Meanwhile, on the other end of the scale, we have 98 Jack Frost, which was made for a whopping 40 to 85 million, according to Wikipedia. Apparently, the budget is somewhat in dispute, and that's a lot to be in dispute. Yeah, okay, so somebody (laughs) has scrolled something away in mattresses, is what I'm hearing. Uh Was the film this amount of money, or was it twice that? We just don't know. It also has the incredible distinction of having four screenwriters. <laughs> Took four people to write that, huh? Mm-hmm. Yes, would you like to know their previous credits? I guess I would. 
Well, two of them, uh, Steve Bloom and Jeff Cesario, do not have their own entries, which doesn't mean they didn't work. It just means they didn't do a lot of other high-profile stuff. But Mark Stephen Johnson uh, was the illustrious screenwriter of Ghost Rider and Daredevil and also Grumpy Old Men. I watched Grumpy Old Men. Yeah, no, it seems fine. It certainly exists. But our younger viewers may know him from his more recent hit, that spooky-ass Christopher Robin movie. There were a couple of Christopher Robin movies in the past couple years. Is this the the one with Ewan McGregor? Uh Uh-huh. Jesus. But doesn't it make sense now that I've said it with my mouth? That's very upsetting. (laughs) And our other big-name screenwriter is Jonathan Roberts. Ahem who has, well, a lot of uncredited roles on Disney movies. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not fair. He, so he's like a script doctor or something? It's possible he was just in the room, you know, the kind of guy, yeah, who does doctoring or just there for pitch meetings and stuff. He did get credit on James and the Giant Peach with two other people. Mm. So a lot of 90s kids movies, like he's got Lion King credits, Homeward Bound... Emperor's New Groove after this. Not necessarily bad movies, but... Gosh, I wonder which iteration of Emperor's New Groove. Right? And these were all brought together under the powerful direction of Troy Miller. Who... Excuse me. Should I know that name? Well, he did technically direct, uh... (laughs) Oh, that's a qualifier. Mm Mm-hmm. No, in fairness, he's done a lot of TV comedy, but at the time, what he was mostly known for was doing comedy specials, which is still the bulk of his resume. Like, he directed a big chunk of Arrested Development, especially the new one. But, like, stand-up specials. Yeah, most of- like, look at this. I am leaning over now to show you his IMDB. That's his TV work. I saw Super Mario Brothers Super Show in there. Like Jim Gaffigan, John Oliver's 30-minute special, George Carlin, <laughs> Carlin, I can words, Robin Williams' HBO special. Like, so he worked for some, with some heavy hitters, but like... <laughs> so this seems more like a dude who knows things more than a guy who you want to make your fantasy family film with effects work from the biggest name in this movie, the Jim Henson's Creature Shop. On their day off. It's so upsetting. This snowman was fucking phoned in, I'm saying it. You know, the meme is that this is a truly upsetting plot, and people are not wrong about that. (laughs) But it's upsetting in all the weirdest ways. Yes, so Michael Keaton plays a man, honest to God, named Jack Frost, (laughs) who apparently has a Christmas gimmick band in Colorado, which, sir, get the fuck out of here. The Trans-Siberian Orchestra already has the market entirely cornered and you do not have any laser lights this is not even the cis siberian orchestra and it's a 90s movie so he's an absent dad but in the most softballed way possible for this genre of film and this is also part of like this very specific subgenre of Absent Dad Has Regrets films. Oh my god. I, do you think people realize the extent to which you could get you couldn't throw a rock without hitting one of these movies through the entire decade? It was really weird because they were always positioned as like family films for, for kids to watch, but they were always entirely about the emotional journey of the dad making it up to the kid. I think like you've got Hook, but 
this is the even more niche subset of, and then he fucking dies. Right. And regrets it. There, and- were so, well, there were so many of these. And yet the one that leaps immediately to mind is, well, Babysitter's Club was kind of the opposite of that, where her dad was just a shitbag and she learned that she didn't have to rely on him because friends. <laughs> right? <laughs> but it, there was definitely this thing in the 90s where they recognized that different family units were a thing. And then they fixated really hard on children of divorce and nothing else. Yeah, except none of these were about divorce, usually. Usually they were about the daddy's either part of the family unit nominally, but has to reintegrate into their lived lives by not just being the 50s breadwinner, or he's fucking dead before that happens. Well, speaking of Hook, there is also Mrs. Dousefire, of course. Yeah, but this reminds me really strongly, um, the one I think it's most similar to is, and you thought your parents were weird. Which is one where this guy was like a big old computer nerd. And then he fucking died. And then his kids are having a seance on Halloween. And lightning strikes. And puts him into the body of their robot. And then shenanigans ensue. You know, lightning. It does that. This was a completely reasonable thing to happen in a movie at the time. You may recall that one of these escaped the 90s a few years ago as that movie Nine Lives with, you know, rapist Kevin Spacey, where he dies and is a shitty business dad and comes back as a cat. There was also um, Cop Dog. Dog was neither a cop nor alive anymore. (laughs) Just dad. (laughs) Also starring a rapist. Yep. A lot of rapists in these. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, Alan Thicke was uh, in... And you thought your parents were weird. Fuck. So. <laughs> so that's a dark underpinning to the genre. <laughs> yep. But I mean, it is, it's easy to see why it became popular during this part. Oh, Jungle to Jungle was another one of shitty right. dad reconnects with kid. Right. But it's not dead. <laughs> right. That but one's just racist. Right. And that's the, well, and it's based on a French movie. So. Uh. <laughs> I have my opinions about remakes of French films. <laughs> yes. Lacage <laughs> Offholes. <laughs> But you, it's easy to see why these got so popular because that was there was kind of this timbre in the '90s of in kids' films where we're acknowledging that the '50s Americana image was bullshit, but we would still kind of like to get back there. And so this is a do better by your kids formula that also allows you to put the parent character that they clearly want you to sympathize with in the body of a marketable creature like a dog or something. (laughs) So you can technically market it as a children's film because it is entirely too saccharine and glurgy to sell to adults. Yeah, and it's super weird because these films are always about this emotional journey of the dad doing right by his kids, but he's the one we're supposed to empathize with all the time. The Santa Claus. Uh. Damn, Tim Allen in a lot of these. Not a rapist as far as I know, but, but a conservative. shit. Just a relentless <laughs> shit person. Maybe it's because I grew up on such a consistent diet of those movies. I think some of the weird of Jack Frost just kind of washed off me. See, I had never watched Jack Frost before this. So I was very eager to see what the, what this was all about. Yeah, like, I saw I pushed, it in the theaters. I pushed for this one. <laughs> She did. She lobbied really hard for Jack Frost. I was like, come on, they had the same name and we could do the joke about how they're both horrifying. And they are. But yes, our shitty musician dad who is gone to do gigs and always comes home late at night and he's gonna miss Christmas 
but like that can't be new. He headlines for a Christmas themed bar band. He's going to be working Christmas. <laughs> like, surely at this point in the kid's life, they would have set up an alternate thing where we celebrate on this slightly later date. I knew a lot of people who did that with parents who had to work major holidays because they were in retail or whatever. <laughs> your your mom is a fucking nurse. Like, you, <laughs> you just readjust your schedule. It's fine. Yeah. And like, that should be standard practice at this point. But it, it is made more of a thing that he specifically is the guy who's always making promises. That's true. They do have his wife who... Kelly Preston. We are not going to dunk on Kelly Preston because she literally died this year. So um, we are taking all of the Scientology jokes that we could be making and we're and putting we're them putting carefully. putting most of them away. <laughs> I can't promise that I won't make any Scientology jokes, but... We will not be roasting this dead woman. <laughs> we, we are a tempting class. Mark it in your calendars. Note the date. Yeah. <laughs> the script does explicitly put in an explainer that it's fine that you're gone for your job, but stop telling the kid you're going to show up when you're not. Because that is the truly shitty thing he keeps doing. And as always with these movies, there's like a list of specific things you have to do before you can embrace uh, the sweet release of death. And in this case, you have to teach your kid the jack shot. Because he'd do a hockey. You have to help deal with your son's interpersonal difficulties. And you must see the big game. Yeah, and you have to watch the big game happen. He even tries to make good before he dies because he's on his way to this big gig where somebody from a record contract is going to watch him play over the mountains. And halfway there, he's like, man, I can't do it. I got to go and meet and then, our family. And then like a fucking jerk, he decides that Okay, he is too far in the mountains to make that decision at that point. Mm -hmm. I'm saying it. We have driven in this- Those roads. You like, shouldn't... he's heading up to fucking steamboat or something. These people are- uh, So much of the begin, the first act of this movie is absurd based on the knowledge that these people live here in Colorado. And they, they are not people who live elsewhere who have come newly to this town- it's not like this is a California family who moved out here and it's like figuring out how the snow works. No, they've been here at least a decade going by the kid's age. And like, they live on a fucking mountain. And still, this man decides, I could drive these roads in the dark in a car that has shitty non-functional wipers. And just turns around and tries to drive back and guess what fucking happens? Whew. It would have been better for him to just continue on. <laughs> So what we're saying is, don't try. Don't try to do that specifically. He died because he tried to do the right thing. <laughs> this time, I'm gonna not disappoint my kid, guys. Oh, guess what, bitch? <laughs> I'm so upset by the fact that his kid, like, recovers his hat and his scarf and his magical harmonica and has them to put on the fucking snowman a year later. That means they found the body. That means he didn't just, like, disappear and they never found the car that fell off the fucking mountain. And also that there wasn't, like, a lot of blood on the hat and the scarf. And that the harmonica wasn't crushed on impact when his pelvis was destroyed or whatever. So this indicates to me that he probably died a slow death. Probably he, like, maybe broke one leg and tried to cr climb up the mountain and froze to death. Because this is a, you know, an up-and-coming musician in the 90s. He doesn't have one of those bulky car phones. Right. Or maybe decided to stay in the car and ran the engine to keep warm and... Well, that's fine, though. Gassed himself yeah, he'll go out in a couple minutes. carbon monoxide, like... 
And if that doesn't get him the hypothermia, will pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Paradoxical undressing, maybe that would have left the uh, clothes yeah. easy to find. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, did they find him right away, or did they not find him till spring? <laughs> Coming down the mountain to some Jack Nicholson, <laughs> just sitting there next to one another. <laughs> well, kids, am I right? <laughs> you know, Keaton is fine. Like he is giving the performance this film calls for. He's also hamstrung by the fact that most of the the time he's not giving any performance at all. He's clearly just shoving deliriously in a booth. (laughs) (laughs) Two scenes he gets with his wife, they actually have some genuine chemistry, which is more than I expect out of this kind of film. Yep. This is clearly the Hallmark universe where nobody fucks. (laughs) But they look as though they hold hands really intensely. Yeah, like they butted this child happily. She has settled for way too little in life. Way... She's like, I don't care if you're fucking off all the time and disappointing me, but you need to stop disappointing our kid. And like, ma'am. She was preparing to be a single mother long before it happened. And then we have to time skip a year, you know, to really settle in the grief because it might be too dark for this family <laughs> film. <laughs> if this was like literally the next day. I saw your corpse. <laughs> Identified the body. <laughs> they couldn't get the legs. They snapped off. <laughs> The jaws of life lie. So Charlie has gone from being this kid who stands up to bullies. I love the bully. We'll get back to him. Uh huh. (laughs) Now he's a sad, withdrawn kid who's trying to be the man of the house because that was also an extremely 90s movie thing of these these nine-year-old boys who have to take care of their adult mothers. And it's super weird because, like, we see him trying to shovel off the driveway and his mom's like, you don't have to do that. And he literally doesn't because we saw that that was her chore previously. It's not like he's taking up this chore from his dad. But I, even, I can't even be mad because that's, like, the, <laughs> the two seconds where the movie is actually, like, subtle about grief. <laughs> yes, I do. I have to fix this thing. <laughs> this is a thing that I can do. <laughs> I can control this this element of my environment. <laughs> it, like, escaped from an indie mumblecore movie. But then he makes a snowman and plays the magic harmonica that his dad gave him before he died. Which turns out to be magic, even though it was given to him clearly... Michael Keaton was bullshitting the magic of this harmonica because she forgot to buy a present. I love that it, he tells one bullshit story about how he got it from some legendary blues man or something. Mm-hmm. And then when the kid's like, that sounds like bullshit. He, he then revised the story to, I went out and bought this from the music shop across the street from the hospital the day you were born. So I'm sitting here like, so while your wife was, you were <laughs> doing some math here. And it's coming up with you not being anywhere near <laughs> the proceeding. Father of the year. <laughs> like, I guess I'll stop it. You're good, right? I'm going to go check out some sheet music. It's going to be really great for both of us, honey. You look like you're tired. I'll let you rest. <laughs> then shenanigans, including the longest snowboarding sequence on Earth. Most not- of which ended up in the fucking trailer. Which I still remember vividly. Yeah, like, there are things that I specifically remembered, remembered from the trailer, like, snowman boob. And snowman get thin, snowman get fat. Snowman separate between three branches. Snowman catch big air. There are many jokes about balls, by the way. So many. I, it's so odd, because this isn't even the kind of movie, you know, this is a year before, no, t- two years before DreamWorks ca- takes off and jokes for the kids really becomes a prominent selling point of theatrical kids' movies. They were always in there, but it wasn't the point. 
So it's odd to see the mix of the tone of the overall script and then ball jokes. Balls. Why? (laughs) In this movie where nobody fucks. Why do you have those? (laughs) I think this speaks to his wound and his emasculation. We can posit that he was likely wounded in the thigh, which, as we all know, in medieval manuscripts was frequently um, a a euphemistic reference to castration. Okay, but in the... Hallmark universe, the testicles are the gallbladder of the human body. <laughs> yeah. They're vestigial. Yes, but he is essentially here transformed from being simply a penis mm-hmm. to an entire scrotum compressed entirely of balls. <laughs> what does that mean, Doctor? <laughs> He's reclaiming his masculinity <laughs> through these positive familial interactions. And that is why he rejects a, the snowball a, breasts. A, a fertile masculinity. It's all coming so clear. <laughs> yeah, that's like the worst thing I've ever said. Yep, that's and I'm leaving it all in. That's the worst series of lies I've ever made up. And how does that square with the fact that the bully in this movie is extremely gay? I love the bully. I'm not gonna Honestly, lie. <laughs> I'm not even... No, he definitely gets a name, which I am going to look up. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna look up this kid's name, too, because I fucking love this kid. <laughs> Like, bullies are bad, but this is... Honestly, I'm not sure he actually is trying to bully the kid. I think maybe the kid is just deeply misunderstanding this flirtation. Rory Buck is the character's name. And the actor is named Taylor Handley. That's a very 90s name. Oh, apparently he's in Bird Box, a movie I haven't watched. Huh. And Mm. he's been in everything. All of the TV murder shows... And Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning. Oh. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and say it. Uh, this kid has not been in enough things. Huh. Yeah. Doesn't look like he's in any episodes of Smallville. Which, <laughs> baffling. <laughs> right? Actually, I don't see any CW work here at all. No. No, just procedurals. What a waste. He's saying all of the lines that go with... Bully kid, you know, picks on our local plucky protagonist, but he's saying them with this kind of soft, gentle, winsome smile that just screams, I'm trying desperately to flirt with you <laughs> by provoking you and that into maybe wrestling me. Yeah, like he seems, he doesn't seem to be bullying. He seems to be teasing in a very gentle way. And it's, it almost seems like before our main kid's dad died, their dynamic was this sort of teasing back and forth. And now that dad's dead, suddenly he keeps trying to do the same things and perk his friend up and, like, provoke him into doing something. And and even leads with, (laughs) like, even before the third act, this kid leads with, eh, well, your dad died, that sucks. I don't have a dad, so I know how that goes. Like, this kid is, what? (laughs) Yeah, like, it is not a very effective bullying narrative. And it does lead to this, like, moment of mutual respect where we get to the third act and Jack manages to make it to the big game, but he's melting because there's a sudden heat wave. Because it's 70 degrees. Which, okay, that happens. There are warm days in winter. Yeah. But, and and then Rory is like, I know what it's like to have a shitty dad, so I'm gonna help you get your dad to the mountains so he doesn't die. Help you put him on a refrigerated truck so that... He cannot die, and then of course he does die, but like, because his obligations are... Also, this kid is co- so completely chill with the magic snowman angle. Uh, yeah, I love it. 
He's just like, okay, your dad's a magic snowman. That's neat. Yeah, I'll help you put him on the track. No, I don't need to come along. No, no, it's fine. You, uh, you finish your business, this, kid. This is some, this is between you and your dad. I get that, man. <laughs> I'll, uh, you know, I'll see you on Monday. Yeah, let me know how it goes. I hope there's fanfic of like ten years <laughs> down the line, these two boys awkwardly dating. I don't want to see it. I don't want to read it. But like, it feels appropriate to how this film ends. This amazing homoerotic subtext. <laughs> bizarre this incredibly chaste homoerotic well, yes. subtext nobody fucks in this universe that's true so maybe they hold hands my goodness spicy shout out also to to jack's best friend who clearly should is going to be marrying he's just <laughs> always around character later he's always around the house he helps but this movie doesn't have time for a subplot about resenting new dad yeah. so so he's just there He's lost the music ever since his best friend died. He has this incredibly heartfelt scene talking about that. And so then I'm like, oh, so it was like that between the three of you. <laughs> there was an understanding. All right. All right. Yeah. And he's played by uh, Mark Addy. I was very happy to see him here because I loved him in The Full Monty. And he's he's good in this with what little, you know, he's given. Mm-hmm. Which is why that scene comes off as like so much deeper mm-hmm. than it's intended. This dude has been in a... Oh, Rob... Right, he's in Game of Thrones. He's Robert Baratheon. That's probably what people know him from. Hmm, probably. <laughs> I... Wow, he was in season one, the season I watched. I have no memory of this. But he was there, and good for him. Dude's he's got gravitas. Stocky, he's a stocky British guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's all of these actors who are entirely too talented to be here with this shit script and, and this horrifying the, puppet. And all of these bizarre random musician cameos. Yeah. Like, all three of the Zappa kids are there in just random small bit parts. Henry Rollins is there as the way too intense hockey coach. And actually, the soundtrack is pretty banging. <laughs> like, as somebody who enjoys blues music, there are some good track cho- choices here. <laughs> and yet, it's such a nothing of a film. <laughs> Like, it's one of those films where you're like, it's over, and not because the time flew by as you were watching it, but because so little has happened. Yeah. It's very much that, let's tick the checklist of things so that I can get the sweet release of death, although we never say it, but it's all so didactically laid out that we know all of the things that are going to happen. I feel like the scene where he eventually dissolves into Thetans had to have the line of dialogue where he's like, I'll be watching. Had to have been ADR'd in because they were like, it's too dark. It's too dark that we've implied that he is just going back to the bleak, to, to the blackness of non-existence. <laughs> because this dude does not remember shit since he got in his accident. Thanks for that confirmation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jack Frost. When you die, there's nothing. <laughs> yep. And now to nothingness I return. Live well, my son. Or don't. Then you it get doesn't to another matter. bite. <laughs> I feel like maybe what actually happened was that he was just being a dick up in heaven for a while. And <laughs> and they kicked his ass out to get a little breathing room. You can never come back. I mean, he named his son Charlie. We paid $3 to rent this film and I can't in conscience. I would not recommend doing that. No. <laughs> like if this film were free somewhere and you wanted to get high and watch it. Colorado. Like, there are worse movies to get high to, but 
paying any amount of money for this film is a wrong. It's a wrong thing to do. <laughs> do you want to know how much money it made? Oh, I guess I do. $34.6 million, which is notably neither 40 nor, nor 85 a- million. <laughs> so did it bomb or did it bomb? We just don't know. <laughs> well, we do know that on its opening weekend, it made $7 million. Uh-huh. 30 up against. <laughs> 34 million is its lifetime take. Oh. Let's see, what was it up against? Oh. Star Trek Insurrection. Ah. Oh, and God. A Bug's Life. No wonder. Lordy. <laughs> it went toe-to-toe with A Bug's Life and the Rugrats movie and thought, we can work this. <laughs> Hell. The Water Boy, Jesus. It did manage to beat out beloved cult classic, Babe, Pig in the City. George Miller's opus. That is a scary fucking movie. I I do recall turning it off as a child because I was terrified by its vibes. Yeah, see, I really liked Babe. Same. And then I saw Babe Pig in the City and it is scary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I love Babe. I loved Homeward Bound. I love the stories about the little talking animals. I'm surprised you didn't enjoy Babe Pig in the City because, you know, you love Return to Oz so much, which has similar deeply terrifying cult hit vibes. It does, but it's somehow so much more upsetting when they're when they're these cute little animals. A dog dies. Okay, you're right. There's a movie to re-traumatize ourselves to <laughs> as adults. Watership Down was still deeply traumatic as an adult, so yeah. I ain't ruling nothing out. We have done it. We have done the myth, the meme, the legend. It was a film. Honestly, it wasn't as nightmare fuely as the punchline would suggest, aside of the whole, you know, the bleak non-existence of death. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the puppet is really bad and ugly and I hate it. And also the times when they use CG are badly integrated and thought out. And there's a problem in this, which is shared with uh, the other movie, in that nobody can figure out how to make this snowman move. So, so we're just, just gonna, gonna kinda... scoot, scoot, scoot. Yeah, or just pan around it and then the snowman is over here (laughs) but they seem to have figured out pretty quickly that you don't want to get close in on on this snowman's horrible face so it's dead staring eyes so it's mostly a lot of wide shots and stuff like that well and i assume it the puppetry looks more impressive from afar because like genuinely the movement is more i mean that's part of the reason i think it is less horrifying than you'd expect just like looking at stills and at that horrible horrible face is that the puppetry of the arms and stuff has the smooth motion of this is a puppet made by puppeteers yeah but and keaton you know he's throwing off one-liners that only barely connect with any scene he's very obviously sort of isolated from the rest of the performers he's phoning in his mr mom performance again yeah Honestly, if you want to watch a good Keaton film where he copes with the uh, need to balance work and family relationships, watch the fucking paper. All right. Noted. So that was a film we watched. Honestly, I'm surprised that I enjoyed watching it more than the campy horror movie. Yeah. I was, which made me sad. I was ready to enjoy the horror one more. The intentionally horrifying one. But this, so we mentioned it's micro micro budget. There is, in that same interview that i mentioned before they talk about how they attempted to you know take the horror scenes seriously despite the fact that they know that this puppet looks absurd (sighs) it is hard to find a metric to judge this movie on because 
a zero-budget camp horror movie is A, going to look cheap, and B, going to be tasteless. But the more important thing than those is that's what it is, but it has to be overcome by how much enjoyment you get out of it. Like, how much charm it has. And early on, I thought it was going to be pretty charming and funny. Honestly, the cold open? Pretty good. Yeah, like, the beginning of the movie made me think that it was going to be kind of similar to, like, Puppet Master versus Demonic Toy. Yes, which we covered last year and had a ball with. That That is definitely the vibe this movie is going for, which is At to say start. it's a knockoff full moon yeah. picture. Yeah, like, it feels like a knockoff of full moon, which is already troubling. Yes. <laughs> but yes, you have a, a man telling a scary bedtime story to a woman doing a- The worst little girl voice. Honestly, uh, for for my peace of mind, I'm just going to assume they're doing some DDLG roleplay. That is the more comforting yes. assumption in this <laughs> scenario. That this is actually an uncle talking to his niece. It, his niece <laughs> with an uncomfortably breathy voice. And just deciding, because she asked for a scary Christmas story, to tell her a story about a violent murderer who kills children. Finally got caught and he's on the way to an execution. But wouldn't you know it, on the way to be executed... The truck. It, it collides with the fucking Alex Mack truck. Like, this is Secret World of Alex Mack. He gets exposed to chemicals, which fuse him on a biological level with a snowman. And then he sets off to terrorize the sheriff who caught him. And the town <laughs> must band together to stop this evil snowman. Yeah, and the town is called Snowminton. Like, it's Snowman Town. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a goofy setup. It's not that a few kills are, like off-screen camera averted Mm -hmm. so it's very easy to sort of slip into okay this is a silly movie i mean the initial chemical bonding scene they really try to go hard on some face melting prosthetics which aren't bad like they're not amazing but for a micro budget film they look pretty all right yeah they're fine my biggest problem is that it's not just that the movie looks cheap that's fine i've watched a lot of cheap horror movies it's the fact that some of those kills are straight up stolen. Uh, w- one woman is just a repeat of the Chucky Christmas uh, ornament kill. Yeah. This bothers me. This bothers me to an absurd degree. Slasher movies have to have un- unique kills. Like well, if you're you, going for Goofy. You also get the guy pinned to the door with the Halloween. Like, right. It, but it's an icicle this time. Like, at a certain point, that's not homage if you don't have anything to offer besides that. And, you know, if I wanted to be mean, their pretty good burn prosthetics are just the Freddy prosthetics. This guy's full on doing a Freddy. Mm-hmm. And I know one-liner killers were pretty well established by that point, because at this point, this is a year Let's after- scream. <laughs> Well, Scream is two years well, off, I think. Right, but, like, the genre is already starting to critique itself at this point. Mm-hmm. Right, New Nightmare has already come out. So... In 1994. Yeah, so, like, the tropes are already beginning to self-erode. And then you get to the rape scene that we mentioned. Yeah. So, the killer gets to town and first kills this old guy. And that's totally off screen. We see the corpse. The corpse is good. I the really like really that good. corpse. It doesn't make any sense given the, the level of uh, decomposition, but it's very funny. And the the rocking chair business in the scene with the silly cops. I also like the cop's secretary who is constantly uh, smoking and, and blow drying and, and giving herself blowouts with her hairdryer and her hairspray. 
This woman is Rizzo in 20 years and I support her. She's excellent. I love her. But then the snowman shows up at, like, the sheriff's house where the sheriff's weirdly aged kid is. And so this kid, he's written at about, like, four or five. Mm -hmm. But the actor they got (laughs) is, like, nine or ten. Yeah, he's definitely written to be preschool age because they've got him making a mess in the kitchen and making gross, horrible foods for his dad, which is a Chekhov's gun. It's a very important plot point that his dad is like, mmm, yummy, I will definitely take this oatmeal to work with me and eat it there. Yeah. So the snowman gets there and the kids are all oddly and curious about this giant snowman, but the town bullies show up to be assholes to this little kid by saying they want to skate on his street. <laughs> they want to sled on his street. I guess. so. They- because this is Colorado. <laughs> and there are no other streets with snow on them. <laughs> Also, snow doesn't happen anywhere except Colorado. I mean, it's fitting because this kill did very much put me in mind of Cannibal the Musical, <laughs> which was made for less. And again, let's build a snowman. We can make him our best friend. <laughs> that is a movie with a micro budget that looks ugly and cheap as shit that I very much enjoy because charming as fuck. Don't listen to the director's uh, Oh no, it's very uncomfortable. And you know, they're, they're both assholes. Yeah. And so the snowman kills the bully. Woo, head go fly. Again, a discretion shot, and just, then just the head hilariously flies through the air after Which, you we know, see the snowman arm move. <laughs> I'll, I'll give him that. That's a classic. Uh-huh. Hilarious funny. fake head is good. Yeah, it's funny. But again, we're this is like the level of kills we're seeing. So I'm, I'm comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a funny, silly movie for funnies. And, you know, the town is full of silly yokels who are arguing over, like... The local snowman festival yeah. contest. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, there's a guy who puts boobs on snowmen. It's art. Honestly, that's a very good snow sculpture. (laughs) Yeah, the fake snow sculptures, if they were real, would be impressive. I mean, they might be real. These people had no money. (laughs) Those were definitely not real. Yeah, you're right. It's when they start ramping up to specifically killing the women in the movie that it starts to feel a little bit more distressing. Yeah, because, well, he kills the dude who's an asshole to his wife. And you're like, okay, he's mostly been killing people... I don't know that the movie intends it to ramp up that way, but it's been a, the killer kills the people who we are shown to, to dislike in classic slasher fashion. These people are assholes. They deserve it. Right. So the killer kills the bully and then uh, I guess follows the bully's parents home and kills the bully's dad, who we've seen is like a misogynist asshole who yells at his daughter, Shannon Elizabeth from American Pie, but she wasn't in American Pie yet. This is her first movie role. Poor girl. Because, you know, he yells at her for being a giant slut who doesn't even care that her brother's dead. And yes, we're clearly supposed to dislike him for being an evil Bible thumper. But also, that's literally (laughs) what's going on with her. Is that she does just have absolutely no interest in the fact that her brother's head was just cut off. She is weirdly blasé about the fact. And just wants to go out and get railed. Like, this is not a movie that's like she's trying to escape from her grief. You know, by by just plunging herself into this relation. No. no, no, she doesn't care. She just doesn't care that her brother's dead. Her These mom? are not the family of the guy that sent him to prison. No. So for a minute there, I was like, is the snowman somehow bound to follow the orders of this small child? That would be more interesting. Right. Well, nor are they. We see them talking to the sheriff in the same way that he talks to all of the people in this very small town where everyone knows each other. But it, and where it, he apparently is the the entirety of the authority in this town. 
But it's not like, man, you guys are my closest friends. It's more like, oh, I know you. I've seen you around town for years kind yep. of thing. Well, and also they fucking hate him. <laughs> so it's a weird choice for ramping up when this guy's entire motive is, I'll ruin you and your life and everyone you care about. Yeah. And then the, the stolen Chucky kill is like, why? This woman has done nothing. She is sort of a harmless, slightly ditzy a mother who- wife. Uh-huh. But we beheaded her and put her on the tree because she always wanted to be the star on top of a tree. Yeah, and it, it's honestly kind of sad and upsetting because her whole character is about how how she appeases and she smooths over conflict. And I, there are movies I've enjoyed that have those kind of mean-spirited kills where you're killing off characters we're supposed to identify with, but not not in this genre of camp horror. Yeah, and it's trying so hard to be camp horror. Which, you know, we could have an argument all day of whether camp can only be found or whether camp can be achieved in certain contexts. I don't think this movie achieves it is the problem. It doesn't. I don't necessarily agree that camp must always be found. I think that it can be deliberate, but... It's also not that easy. Mm. It's Creating not good just, camp is very hard. Yeah. It, it's not that easy to just sneer at your own work. Because that's how you get Channel Awesome movies. So having dispatched son, husband, and wife, now we have to kill the daughter, obviously. Who is not even there, but the snowman, again, takes a long-ass detour to find this girl and kill her. And he kills her boyfriend, you know. In the Halloween kill. And then we just do the Freddy thing. Yep, the uh, between the leg shot from Nightmare on Elm Street, we do that. Yeah, because he gets of, in the bath with her. Because Jack Frost can change into water and then reform himself thanks to his new magic science molecules. His new Alex Mack powers. And um, there are, like, government agents who also work for the chemical company trying to find him, but... Yes, they've, they've come into town and they don't know what they're doing in, like, this small, you know, this heroic small town sheriff and that's happening but like that's all happening while the snowman is taking this detour and then he he gets in the bath with her like as water and she's like why is the water cold honey don't do that and we see the carrot floating around and then it just turns into this incredibly violent rape scene where he reforms into a snowman and is and literally rapes her to death against the wall and like it's supposed to be funny because the carrot isn't on his face now in in the same way that they covered the uh, Rape of Christ scene in The Devils, that Fangoria article does in fact mention the rape scene specifically and talks about the director saying, oh no, but it's very subtle in the finished version because, you know, we kind of nod to it with like the carrot isn't on his nose anymore. It and is. then the person they talk to is not her. It's the guy who plays Jack, <laughs> where he's he's kind of talking about, oh, what a fun day of shooting that was. And now they're getting ready to do the next thing. And it speaks so, like, they built this weird prosthesis costume thing that she's, like, partly enveloped in. And it's not even a very good death. No, it's not an impressive kill. Like, at the end of it, she just kind of falls over and blood leaks out her, her face. Oh, but she falls into the shower curtain, see, so it's like psycho. That just... And that kind of really soured the rest of the movie for me. It was hard to re-engage even a little bit. Yeah, because you've already had these kind of ramping up strikes of this or that has failed to work. And then you add on top of it. I feel like this kind of thing can be hard to talk about for people who aren't really super into horror as a genre. Because they're like, well, horror is misogynistic. Obviously, you would know that going in. And like, yeah, a lot of horror is 
quite misogynistic, especially the slasher genre. Yeah. But it's like with every work of media. I mean, Carol Clover was not wrong. She was not wrong five years before this film came out. Yeah. Because again, this film is riding the end of a wave. But there is, it's one of those things that it's, you don't accept it, you don't say it's okay, but with so much movie, there's that, so many movies, there's that buy-in element of, all right, how many other things does this do well that I am willing to grip my teeth through this element? You know, we love reanimators so uh-huh. fucking much, and the whole, and the third has, act is a horrible rape scene. Right, and it has this rape scene that's played for laughs. Mm-hmm. But it's doing other things really well, and also it's doing a better job of setting the tone and the expectations, so it doesn't come out of nowhere and with trash cinema too this element of all right what else are the women in this movie getting to do who was involved in the production side what are the other charms the movie has to offer that balance out me having to sit through this bullshit again yeah and that element of telegraphing can be so important if if i'm watching a rob zombie movie i'm not surprised when bad things happen to the women in it (laughs) yeah well, it's this, I guess you're right, it's the same basic principle as content warnings, but they're sort of unspoken. Yeah, and content warnings should always be spoken. Right. That's why we try to do them, but... But I guess with horror fans, you you learn that coding. Yeah, like, it, it's a genre expectation. And yeah, that scene just was so far outside of the level of everything else that had happened it was jarring because of that, but also because I felt like they were intending for me to take it as the same level as everything else. Like this extremely graphic, fully nude rape and death scene of this very young actress. Who has done nothing but be the generic horny teen. Yeah, and I feel like the directors genuinely thought that it was at about the same level as wrapping a lady up in Christmas lights. <laughs> or, you know... Having a sled cut a kid's head off. Yeah, I think you are 100% on the money with that. So even though once it gets to the third act and you have like these kind of fun scenes where they're barricaded into the sheriff's office and they are trying to set him on fire with the secretary's uh, hairspray and... And like hairdryer with hair dryers in battle formation and like there are some fun moments in the back third of the film but it's just so hard to enjoy them yeah it's hard to re-engage at that point <sighs> which is a shame because honestly. like if that scene hadn't been in the film it would have been much more even it wouldn't have felt like this huge swerve you would have the lingering question of hey where'd that character go but otherwise i think you could cut that scene from the movie and lose basically nothing mm-hmm. in fact it would be a much better film overall because we wouldn't be going why the fuck is the killer over here uh-huh as opposed to hunting down the guy he's sworn to hunt down no no okay then we find out at the, at the last minute after all other efforts to kill him have failed that um the Chekhov's gun of the kid's horrible oatmeal which is maybe my favorite joke of the film because it's so fucking dark. Yeah, <laughs> like, goddamn. So it turns out that he made this this kid, who was clearly supposed to be like five, made this special oatmeal for his dad because he didn't to want keep him to get- warm. Mm-hmm. So he put, to keep his dad warm, antifreeze in there. <laughs> and you know what? That is 
a joke that is subtle, it sits with you, and it's fucking funny. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, that's a good fucking joke. And then that turns out to be the secret to how they stop this magical reforming science snowman. And it, it's basically the same end as Evolution, which was the David Duchovny alien movie. Yeah, with the smiley face. I remember the posters. Yeah, where, okay, we have figured out this one thing that'll do it. Let's just dump a bunch on there. But then, oh no, they bury it in a grave and it starts bubbling again. An ending we didn't need. Yep. There was a sequel, by the way. I have no interest in watching it. No. They were going to- I've had sufficient. They were going to make a third one, but Christopher Allport died in an accident in 08, which is is a shame. Is he the one who played Tyler, Uh, the sheriff? Yes. Mm. Yeah, so that kind of- He's likable in it. He has the folksy charm that the role calls for, you know? Yeah. And he's also a super prolific that guy actor, so (laughs) you kind of got the feeling, or it gives me the feeling looking at his resume that- this was a product project he got enjoyment out of. It's not a thing that he had to do to work, you know? Right. Kind of like David Gale. Same energy, I think. Yeah. And that's always nice to see, you know? Part of what is so interesting about horror as a genre is the fact that so often you get these very tight crews of actors and production teams because you have so many micro projects that come together so quickly under such trying conditions that it's you know, kind of like theater where you have that bond over the intensity of the experience. Yeah. And you get this very intense fan base. I do think it's funny that nobody thought to to use any sort of ice-related things against him, like all movie. Through the whole movie, we're seeing people get salt deliveries. and That's true. And that, and not a Chekhov's gun. Right? Like, I was sitting here thinking, okay, so the salt deliveries are like like the glasses of water. You thought. In signs. The herring was red. Again, this is set in Colorado, so people should know how to melt snow. <laughs> there should be ice melt all over those streets. Uh-huh. He should be going like, ouch, 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 every time he takes it. I guess not a step, but like a uh, glide. <laughs> a squidge. And the snowman. The snowman can fucking book it, by the way. Mm-hmm. Well, he's got Jason powers, you know. This is an <laughs> ice Jason. That's a rare variety. You don't find them too often. You know, they, they solely thrive in cold climbs. Yeah. Also, the suit... <laughs> Not very impressive, but also not silly enough in some ways. Yeah. It's basically just a big stationary plaster snowman. The the updated photos, by the way, look way more metal than the actual. Yeah. Where it's like a scary skull with icicle pin teeth. Way better than the actual film. Yeah. No, it's just a big plaster snowman. And occasionally they have like an icicle poke out its mouth. They do have the one close-up kill, I think, with the shitty dad, where they get a different puppet that unhinges its jaw and it has icicle teeth. Yeah. That was okay. But, like, that's not what it looks like through most of the movie. Mm-hmm. So, weirdly disappointing. Yeah, you can watch this movie for free on, on Tubi, but I can't say that I recommend it. There are better micro-budget horror movies. Yeah, like, anything from Full Moon is gonna be funnier. Yeah, honestly. Like, watch fucking Ginger Dead Man if you want a really stupid... I was going to say, just re-recommend last year's, in case people missed it, Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys. Because even with a very basic cursory knowledge of those two franchises, maybe Puppet Master more than Demonic Toys, it's yeah. a very fun, basically child-friendly movie. Except, except for, for the one scene. Which e- which, <laughs> which isn't as upsetting or graphic as this one. Yeah, which is nowhere near the level of this one. A, wo- a woman gets stripped down to her bra and tormented by evil toys. <laughs> 
And that's weirdly upsetting in this otherwise family-friendly film. Yeah. But it's not this. Yeah. And a couple Full Moon movies have that issue. Like, um, Dr. Mordred has a similar scene that comes out of nowhere and and is basically excisable with, like, this, this BDSM devil sacrifice scene. Right. And but it's like, why is this here? Just because we needed some titties. We need to be able to tell people there are titties in this movie if they ask. So that's not how I expected this double feature to go. Yeah, no, honestly. <laughs> like, neither of them were good. No, but... <laughs> I wouldn't like, recommend watching either of them, but like... I expected one to be excruciating and one to be basically watchable, and I was correct. <laughs> but not in the direction we thought. Nope. Truly a year full of surprises. <laughs> yeah, like, I thought the, that the joke of this review was going to be, the the one intended for family-friendly fun is the is by far the most horrifying. <laughs> the joke, in fact, is on, is on me. Thank you so much for sticking th- with us through 2020, listeners. I know it's been weird feels uh, not significant enough yeah. in word, but it has. Let's stick with it. You all know what I mean. It has been a weird year for everyone, uh, including us, as we sort of shift our schedule around and play with our format. And we actually missed an episode for the first time ever this year. Yeah. We're sorry about that. And we owe you guys bonus episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's partly because, you know, I've gone back to grad school and I'm teaching again. I There will be an update on the Patreon by the time this episode comes out. So I will refer y'all over there. We're kind of tweaking some of our stuff regarding commissions, which have been so much fun. And we want to continue doing. We're just changing things around a little bit. Yeah, because we were surprised by the amount of response we had to commissions. mm -hmm. And we will be getting those bonus episodes to you again by the time this goes up. There should be at least one of what we owe you up. So. So $5 listeners. Look forward to that. Yeah. (laughs) And we hope that we see you in 2021 and that you all stay safe and take care of each other. And that wraps us up, I guess, for the year. Thank you so much for joining us, listeners. If you liked this, you can find more of us by looking for Trash and Treasures on your podcatcher of choice. If you'd leave us a positive rating or review, it would mean a lot. Helps folks to find us. Or if you'd like, you can always email us at trashtreasurespod at gmail.com. We love getting mail. You can also find us on social media. We are on Tumblr at trashandtreasurespod.tumblr.com or we're on Twitter at trashpod. Come say hi to us. We'll give you a shout out on the show. I would like to give a personal shout out this time to friend of the show and previous guest Shannon Dapper for being the other soul on earth who got the Boston's favorite son reference. And that makes me feel seen. Thank you to them. Swarms my heart. 2021 will be an exciting thing. We've got the end of season one of Go Crows. We have uh, some more book commissions, a lot of new book commissions. Yeah, and we're excited about the books. <laughs> mm-hmm. And a whole spate of new, weird, and interesting movies. Thank you so much again, listeners. By the way, I forgot to mention our Patreon because I'm very, very smart. Is Patreon.com/slash/TrashAndTreasures. All this stuff will be in the show notes. So. Happy holidays and take care of yourselves. Stay warm. (laughs) Not with antifreeze. Bye.